Right, today, uh, we have, don't have Children's Church today because it's the fourth Sunday of the month, so the kids are welcome to be in here with us. They're welcome anytime, but especially today is Family Sunday. Um, but we also, we also, we also uh, have uh, nursery as well, so if anybody is in that kind of nursery age, it's back there, and we have some folks that are working there with my screaming child who headed back there earlier, so... They are ready to help with all screaming children or non-screaming children. Probably shouldn't tell them that they should only take screaming children. Um, All right, so today we are going to be working on the uh, book of Matthew. So if you're new here, welcome, welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, We are uh, working our way through the Bible in a year. And uh, for Lent, I decided to take a look at the Gospels, spend a little time in the Gospels. So we've gone through the first four Gospels, looked at a different passage in each one, and so for these last three weeks, including Easter of Lent, we're going to take a look at Matthew and Luke and also John for Easter. And if you come with and join us for our Good Friday service, in which we'll include a celebration of the Last Supper, we'll take a look at the Gospel of Mark there, another look at the Gospel of Mark. So we'll have a chance to look at all four Gospels again as we head through the rest of Lent. Now, when I've gone through the Gospels, I've been able to, uh, with, with Mark and with Luke and with John, I just kind of picked my, some of my favorite passages to cover. Uh, so with Matthew, the first time and this time, I decided I needed to cover some specific things so that we understand some basic ideas of the Gospel and of Jesus' message. That's the case for today. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 24 together, which is an important part of a message that every Gospel except John, every synoptic gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, contain Jesus talking about the end of the age, Jesus talking about the temple in Jerusalem being destroyed. And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that today as we go through this passage, because I want you to have some ideas when you read the scripture about what Jesus is talking about when you hear Jesus talking about the end of the age, about the temple being destroyed, about Uh, You'll see when we read today, because it's something that you'll hear come up. You'll also hear people, uh, pastors or uh, writers or sometimes on the other side of things, charlatans, who will take Jesus' words and say, oh, Jesus said this or that, which relates to Russia being in Ukraine, or which relates to September 11th. They'll try to take these passages and say, this is what Jesus was talking about, And I want to encourage you to not buy into that. And I'll I'll explain a little bit of that today. Jesus isn't specifically talking about events that we're seeing today uh, when he speaks in these passages. But unfortunately, a lot of times Christians have seen it that way. In order to understand Matthew 24, it's pretty important to take a look at Matthew 23. So we'll do that towards the beginning. And Matthew 23 is Jesus expressing grief, emotion, even some anger over the fact that people are rejecting him. People that should know who he is and know that God has sent him have rejected him and the consequences for that, which lead us into Matthew 24. So the basic uh, message I want to get across to you today is that for Jesus, the cross... Jesus going to the cross is not a one-time event in the life of Jesus. The cross is his lifestyle. It's not a one-time event in the life of Jesus. It is his lifestyle. And so if we want to live into the life that Jesus brings, we are also called to die for the world. We're also called to lay down our lives out of love. 
So that's what we're going to look at today. Look at Matthew 24. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. We'll work our way through the chapter together, talk a little bit about this. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the king will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So, in this passage, we're talking about the end. Jesus walking into this passage, carrying a sign that says, the end is near, right? That's what we kind of have a picture of. You may, I don't know if you've ever seen those people on the corner. Every now and then, I will stop and talk to the people on the corner, uh, which is probably always a mistake. I will stop and talk to the ones that have a sign that say, God hates you, you know, that kind of thing. People that are like all focused on this idea of, of God wants you to know how much he doesn't like you. I'll stop and say, why are we starting with this message? Let's start with the message. Why don't we start the message of, hey, God loves you, and then we can talk maybe about some things that God want, might want you to think about and work on, and let's never really get, let's never get to the message of God hates you, because he doesn't, but let's, why don't we start off with the message of God loves you, and because of that, he wants to have a relationship with you, and when he has a relationship with you, guess what? He might have some things that he could suggest to help make your life better, and I'll have those conversations and they just yell at me. Last time, the guy told me that I worshipped my son. Anyway, because uh, I had Elliot on my shoulder, I probably shouldn't have talked to him. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that was, that, was, that was a fun time. Maybe don't talk to those people. Jesus is on the corner, and he's preaching about the end, but he has a totally different perspective about this. He has a totally different perspective. He has a perspective that talks to these people about the gospel being preached to all nations, about the people who, who uh, love him and follow after him being able to stand firm through a world that's falling apart. That's the message that he has. So when Jesus talks about the end, it's not about, oh, here's all the punishment, here's all the suffering that God is going to inflict on you. It's his people that, that, that uh, are faithful to his call in his life who are going to be able to stand firm through the turmoil of the world, and that's what he's presenting to them. Now, if we would look at Mark chapter 13 you'll see a version of this uh, sermon that Jesus preaches, and you could compare that to Matthew. I don't have time to do that today, but one thing I want to draw out for you from making that comparison is that Matthew brings in some extra content and context to what Jesus says, which indicates that Matthew is speaking to Christians who are being persecuted. So when Matthew writes Matthew, it's maybe a little bit later than Mark, and he takes Jesus' sermon and says, how can I apply it to people who are experiencing persecution, being rejected by their communities, being kicked out of synagogues, the local religious communities, being persecuted for being Christians and, and cast out of the rest of the communities that they're supposed to live in? How can I speak to them? So we see that if you look at the comparison of the two. My 
life as a Christian for the first, I don't know, 12 or 13 years that I read the Bible and I uh, knew about Jesus and I had faith in Jesus, I never really gave a lot of thought to the end of the world kind of stuff. Never really thought about that a lot. But one day I was at the library and I found a book that was called Blood Moon. It was by Pat Robertson, I think. Uh, anyway, I found this book called Blood Moon, and I brought it home and read it, and I found out that Pat Robertson was taking a lot of these passages and trying to bring it into the modern world. And I brought it to my dad, and I said, is this true? I've never really thought about this. Is Jesus talking about things that are happening in our modern world when he talks about these things? And my dad, being a great dad, said, well, let's read more. And so we got different books and commentaries, and we tried to read through to see what Jesus uh, had to say. And you know that if you're, I don't know, a 14 or 15-year-old, and your idea of fun is spending some time reading Bible commentaries with your dad, you'll probably end up as a preacher. Um, but anyway, when I, when, I did, when I did that in Matthew 24, when, when I did that and looked at these passages, one thing that really struck me is that a lot of times we take a passage like this and we disconnect it from everything else going on around it. Everything that happens after Matthew 24 is Jesus heading to the cross. Jesus laying down his life out of love for the world, for you and for me, saying, I'm going to go to death, the worst possible experience that any human being can have so that God's presence can reach any human being. Not only is it death, but it's death of a convict, of somebody who's the worst of the worst. Only the worst of the worst gets sent to the cross. So if God's got, gone to the cross, no matter who you are and what you've done, God understands, and he's there with you. That's what you see when you see the cross. So we see that at the, uh, after Matthew 24. So when we know we look at Matthew 24, we're not looking at a God who's saying, oh, judgment's coming for you worst of worst people that I don't care about, because he demonstrates everything after that is that he's laying down his life to be here for us in the worst of the worst times when we've done the worst of the worst things. Before Matthew 24, as I mentioned in, in Matthew 23, I want you to hear the ending of Matthew 23. I'm going to read for you verses 37 through 39. Jesus has spent Matthew 23 confronting the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the leaders in Jerusalem. And he's done it in some pretty powerful ways. Some of the times he is super funny and sarcastic in it. Other times he is very heartbroken and angry. But at the end of Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This, this, however, is one of my favorite passages of Jesus because Jesus looks at a city that's about to reject him, about to send him to the cross, and says, how much I'd love to gather you up. Like a, like a chicken gathers her little chicks under her wings. Out of all the images that he could have picked to describe people who are about to kill him, he picks the image of a mother hen with her chicks, protecting her chicks and keeping them safe. In the passage, he even brings motherhood into the passage. He talks about birth pains. How he says all of this is because of something that God is trying to birth into the world. A new world born through the suffering and death and sin of this world. God is bringing something new about. So think of these experiences that I'm describing for you as birth pains. As, as the labor of something new being brought into the world through God's love. 
So all of that is all over this passage, and you can't miss that. When Jesus is at the corner reminding people that the end is near, he is speaking of a love of God that is going to show up in the worst of the worst times. And uh, you notice in this passage, one thing that I really like is Jesus says that uh, wickedness, because of the wickedness of many, a many a love will grow cold. And I, I love that idea that Jesus says, if you want to talk about what makes love hard, it's wickedness. It's, it's doing the things that God doesn't want you to do. When I lead my life in a direction away from God, what God wants for me, I can't love how he wants me to love. And so that's what he says is happening in this world he's describing. Now, uh, I want to read on in this passage. Let's continue reading. Verse 15. So when you are standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through Sorry, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoke of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then that those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, never to be equaled again. If those days have not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, There he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. All right. It's important in this passage to remember that Jesus is specifically talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the uh, takeover of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD. So in 70 AD, the Romans came in, destroyed the temple, which has never been rebuilt, and took over basically all the political and religious independence that the Israelite people had and took over the city. So Jesus is describing that. That's the reference point that he gives us. The disciples point to the temple and they say, wow, what a great temple we have. Isn't this an awesome place to worship God? And Jesus says, yep, it's real great. In a few years, it's not going to be here anymore. And then he begins to unpack this idea. It's, it's important for us to understand how big of a deal this is for the Jewish people. The temple is where the presence of God lives. For each of us as Christians, we know that you can talk to God any time you want. You can pray to him. He come, Jesus comes and he lives inside your heart through the Holy Spirit. His presence is with you all the time. Come to church, experience his presence here with your brothers and sisters. But walk out into the, the beautiful parks we have in this, in this area. You can experience God's presence there. In the quiet of your own house, in a crazy time in your own house, when your kids are screaming like my one was earlier, right? You can still hear the presence of God and him speaking to you. But for the Jewish people, while you could pray to God, the temple was where you went to experience his presence. His presence was there. That's where you got to experience him. God was all around, but his presence was experienced in relationship in the temple. So when Jesus is saying the temple's not going to be there anymore, it is a huge deal, and that's why he describes in this terms of never equaled from the beginning of the world until now. This is something that completely changes everything we've known. Now, uh, when we look at this passage, it's really important for us to keep in mind a few ideas. First of all, the real-world references. The temple's being destroyed. When Jesus talks about an abomination that causes desolation, he's talking about a moment where 
uh, zealots, Jewish religious, uh, you know, really excited about the religious things, they went and killed a whole bunch of Jewish believers in the temple. That's what he's talking about, that moment that just destroyed everything sacred about the temple he's talking about there. In the middle of all this, in the middle of what he's describing here, you have to hear Jesus' compassion and his concern for people, right? He says, I don't, I don't want to think about what this will be like for pregnant women and nursing mothers. I hope it takes place at a time where you're able to get out safely. As soon as you see or hear anything about this, run to the mountains. And we know from history that Christians listened to Jesus. And when they saw people in Jerusalem who you want to think about them as extreme nationalists, people who are saying, we have to take back our nation and we have to have things the way that they are, we want them to be and we're going to fight the Romans. As soon as Christians saw that happening, they ran from Jerusalem, they ran and they uh, made homes for themselves in the mountains around Jerusalem because they knew about the warnings of Jesus. And Jesus offers this to every person who hears him. He wants them to do whatever they can to avoid this worst of situation. And again, it is a place where we see the kind of Messiah that God has sent. Because you have to understand that many of the people, including almost probably all the disciples, when they hear Jesus talk about the end times, about the Messiah's coming in judgment, what they think is, oh good, Jesus is finally going to stop messing around healing blind people. He's finally going to stop raising kids from the dead. And he's going to go and lead a big army and kick a lot of people out of power, take control, you know, and, and just show off who he is. It's funny that oftentimes I run into this when I talk to people um, maybe who aren't as familiar with the church about Jesus. People that maybe have a casual relationship with Jesus and know about him, they will say, well, yeah, but people in the world should remember the next time Jesus comes, he's not going to be like he was the first time. The first time he came, he did a lot of teaching, and he was a real nice guy. Second time around, he's not going to be too nice. I'll hear that a lot from people that, man, I don't know how much of a relationship they, they, they have, uh, but they, they know Jesus and they pray to him, and that's what they know. The second time around, he's not going to be too nice. But if you read this passage, and if you read Revelation, and you see who Jesus is and how he's showing up in the situation, over and over, Revelation describes Jesus as the lamb who was slain. In fact, there's this great scene in Revelation where people are, are crying out for help, and, and the world is coming apart at the seams, and it says, save us from the wrath of the lamb, which, I don't know, when's the last time you've been afraid of a sheep? but probably shouldn't be, right? The whole point of Revelation is that this is the Lamb who died for us, and everything we're experiencing comes back to the fact that He has laid down His life for us, and Jesus presents that here. I've always wondered about this ending of this, where Jesus says, where the carcass is, there the, the vultures will gather. Kind of a, a grim thought. But what makes sense for me, and by the way, side note, I love vultures, my favorite animal in the world. Uh, but anyway, so what made me excited as I looked at this, I know, I'm a weird guy, but... Uh, <laughs> There are no dinosaurs anymore. Vultures are the closest thing we can get to it. Uh, so anyway, Jesus says, there, where the carcass is, there the vultures will gather. And what he's saying in this moment is, realize that wherever death exists in the world, wherever you find suffering and pain, you're going to find the people of God. You're going to find the people of God. And he uses this image, of course, if you're out there in the wilderness. If you're out there pretty soon in the spring, when you start to see the vultures circling the world in, 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 over the woods or over a certain 
part in nature, you know, okay, something has died there. Jesus is saying, wherever death and suffering and pain exists in the world, you're going to find the people who love me and have relationship with me because I'm going to lead them through it. Those who remain faithful to me and stand firm in me will be saved even in the middle of death, suffering, and pain. When complete death happens, out of that death, God will always bring life and a new world. When complete death happens, out of that death, God will always bring life and a new world. That's what Jesus presented to us. What this passage reminds us of and what it challenges us on is how we're going to respond to it. The world is always going to have wars and rumors of wars. The world's always going to have famine, suffering, and earthquakes. The world's always going to have trouble and pain and suffering and be turning upside down. And Jesus asks us in the middle of that to say, what kind of Messiah do you want? Do you want somebody who's going to lead you in an army to get what you want and what you deserve and protect your rights and keep you uh, in power no matter what the cost? Or do you want a Messiah who's called you to die for the world, to lay down your life and your resources? I really appreciate uh, what Stephen Manley has to say about this passage, and I like this quote from him in his commentary on Matthew 24. He says, When we Christians are confronted with the choice of surrendering our corporate lives for our brothers and sisters or cutting our brothers and sisters off at the knees, we often choose to spare ourselves and chop away at them. And that's what Jesus is confronting in this passage. That's the choice that the zealots made. They said, everybody's not in line with us. Kill everyone who's on the other side. And Jesus says, that's the abomination that causes desolation. We're living a different life. So look at the world around you. Look at the people that the church wants to cut off at the knees. Look at the people that the church says aren't important. Look at the people the church says outside. And know that Jesus is the Messiah who says, these are my people. These are the ones I've been called to save. And I'm bringing them into relationship with myself. All right, let me continue to read here. 39, uh, 29 through 34. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the peoples on earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a loud crumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from end of the heavens to the other. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twig gets tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it's near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you this, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. So Jesus uses a lot of different images here. He uses some prophetic images uh, from Isaiah to describe it. It feels like the world's falling apart. I've described it before as Somebody saying, I'm going to rock your world. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here, that this experience is going to rock the world of everyone who's a part of it. And in the middle of that, he's going to bring his people together. And I think that's my main takeaway from this section is to think about who we are as Christians and how we respond to times of crisis. And I would say that we've just gone through a time of crisis over the past couple of years with the pandemic. Uh, hopefully the Lord gives us a break as far as times of crisis like that goes. I really hope so. But throughout the world, Christians are experiencing times of crisis, as we talked about earlier with Ukraine and Yemen and so many places throughout the world. How do we see Christians responding to time of crisis? 
another small crisis that we will experience is we'll have another presidential election in 2024. Everybody say boo. Anyway, um, but uh, you'd be fine if you did. But when we have that experience, will we see Christians being gathered together by Jesus, being brought to a central place of belief and understanding and love by Jesus? Because that's what he's describing in this passage. When he says, I'll gather the elect, they'll hear my trumpet call, my angels will bring them together. He says, those who follow after me are going to be brought into a community of love in the middle of tremendous crisis, suffering, and tragedy, and pain. And that's going to be the hope of the world. Can that be who we are? Uh, Let's read this last portion here, 35 through 42. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and being given to marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come." important for us to remember. Jesus talks all about the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, warns everyone about this, wants people to come together and, and, and stand firm through the end and be saved and be part of his gospel and preach throughout the world. And then here in verse 35, he switches and says, you wanted to know about the end times, right? He wanted to know about the very end of everything. He says, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. But about the day that heaven and earth pass away, I don't know. I don't know when that's going to happen. So anytime that you hear a a teacher, a speaker, a pastor tell you, these are the signs and we know that the world is going to end and Jesus is going to come back in another two years, know that they are full of it because Jesus says, I don't know. (laughs) Jesus doesn't know, so you can't know. You cannot know. What you can know is that Jesus' words will never pass away. And those who trust in him will stand firm to the end and be saved. So no matter what's going on in the world, Jesus is going to reveal himself. When I look at this passage and I hear Matthew speaking to Christians who are being persecuted, Christians who are being thrown out, Christians who are saying, you're not loyal enough to your nation, you're not extreme enough for us, you don't understand how important this is. When when Matthew hears those Christians, he speaks to them in this passage and says, Find your hope and your love and your community in Jesus and following after him no matter what. And the early Christians lived this. I told you before the story uh, that the early Christians shared about Peter uh, as Rome was experiencing persecution. Uh, Christians were being driven out of Rome, being blamed for fires in Rome. And the Christians managed to smuggle Peter out of the city. And as Peter headed out of the city... Uh, early Christians believed that as Peter had out of the city, he was met by Jesus heading into the city. And he was astounded, right? It's been a long time since I've seen Jesus walking around. And, he's, and so Jesus walks right by Peter, which sounds exactly like Jesus to me. He does that all the time, just wants people to ask questions. So he walks right by Peter, and Peter, you know, shocked, like, hey, aren't you going to say hi? Says, Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. And Peter, who, when Jesus was crucified the first time, denied him three times and said, this isn't the Messiah I wanted. This isn't the Messiah I expected. This is the Messiah who's supposed to kick Rome off the throne and give us power back and refuse to go along with him. The story goes that Peter looked at Jesus 
and followed him back into the city. And when he was arrested and they wanted to crucify him, Peter said, you'll have to crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. Whether that story happened or not, that's what the early church thought about Jesus. When they saw the world breaking apart, they said, how can I love even more than I ever have before? How can I lay down my life in a more extreme and unbelievable way? Because that's what I see Jesus doing. He sees a world that's broken and in pain, and he embraces them like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He calls them to himself and says, stand firm to the end, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for uh, this promise, Lord, that no matter what we're experiencing in life, that you are here, that in all the tumult of the world, of wars and rumors of wars, of famines and earthquakes, of violence, Lord, you are here and you're calling your people to yourself in love. Wherever death is, Lord, you're going to bring us new life. Wherever there's a call to sacrifice, to suffer, to give up our lives for the world, we want to be the ones to say yes. As, as Dr. Manley reminded us, Lord, help us to see where we can lay down our corporate lives, our, our treasures, our possessions, the things that we feel like we have to have and they always have to be this way. Show us where we can lay down those things to show love to people who feel unloved and feel separated from you. In the middle of our times of crisis, Lord, throughout the rest of our lives, help us to be the people that are gathered together by you, your love, your angels, your messengers that you send us. And Lord, help us to be ready for the day, whenever that day happens, when you show up face to face to see you and to lay down our lives out of love for you and however you call us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're able, please stand with us and join us in our final song of worship. <laughs>